Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. All right, let's get down to business, right? Now, after, after worship in the commons this morning, I feel like I need a Gatorade and a Cliff Bar, okay? Because we hit it hard, and I'm sure you did in here as well, and that's, so it should be on Easter Sunday. Um, so let's, let's get after it with the sermon this morning as well. Um, as we celebrate the resurrection today, we are reminded that Easter is the Yogi Berra holiday. Now, some of you think that I said Yogi Bear, right? The cartoon character and purveyor of fine campsites everywhere, right? Jellystone. How many of you have been to a Jellystone park? Oh, all right. Um, but that is not what I said. Rather, I am making reference to Yogi Berra the Hall of Fame catcher for the New York Yankees who played in the mid-1940s to mid-1960s. And perhaps even more memorable than Yogi Berra's playing career were his sayings. His sayings, which finally became to to be known as Yogi-isms. For example, it was Yogi Berra who said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Um, This one's probably my favorite. No one goes there nowadays. It's too crowded. (laughs) He also said, always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. (laughs) And then there's this one, which is perhaps his most well-known. You've probably all heard this one. It ain't over till it's over. It ain't over till it's over. And in so many ways, that really is the message of Easter. It ain't over till it's over, which is why the theme for today is the greatest comeback in history. We'll be looking at three passages this morning. Uh, We'll be looking at John chapter 19, verses 28 through 34, John chapter 20, verses 11 through 17, and 1 Peter 1, 3. And I would invite you to follow along in your, uh, the notes provided in your bulletin. It gives you a place to write down some points and to follow along. But before we fully dive in, let's pause for prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we serve a risen Savior. Not some simply historical figure who lived and died and taught a few good truths, but a historical figure who lived and died and rose again and is alive and is active, and is at work, and loves us, and is for us, and not against us. That gives us great, great hope today. And so I pray that that theme and that hope would be even more clearly defined and experienced in each one of our lives today. We thank you for this opportunity to worship together in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right. The key word for today, the key word is finished. Finished. And in the story of Easter, there was certainly no shortage of people who desired to see Jesus finished. Satan, 
view Jesus as a threat to his rule, his, his kingdom rule here on this earth. Rome viewed Jesus as a threat to their power as they were the big dog geopolitically at this time, and they loved to exercise their power, but they saw Jesus as a threat. Jerusalem viewed Jesus as a threat to their control because the Jewish religious leaders, through their spirit of religion and legalism, they themselves exercised a certain amount of control. And so Jesus threatened all of them, and they all wanted to see Jesus finished. And so after a sham of a trial, Jesus was sentenced to be put to death on a cross, a brutal form of execution known as crucifixion. And and crucifixion was meant to inflict the maximum amount of shame and torture upon the victim. Roman crucifixions were carried out in public so that all could see the horror and be deterred from crossing the Roman government. It clearly was the government attempting to make an example to say, don't cross us or this too could happen to you. And so after being brutally beaten and forced to carry a heavy crossbeam, the victim's wrists and feet would be nailed to the cross, and the goal was a slow, torturous death by asphyxiation in which some victims would actually last as long as four days hanging on that cross. And what they would do is they would, they would attempt with their legs to, to, to lift themselves up so that they could actually inhale and get breath. And they would have to do that over and over and over again. And again, it could last as long as four days before they passed. It is with this background that we read our first text today, John chapter 19, verses 28 through 34. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. And just, again, just as a brief tangent, the reason for the breaking of the legs was so that they could not lift themselves up and take that breath, which would lead to that asphyxiation. Verse 33, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Why? To fulfill scripture, to be that lamb of God whose legs were not broken. It was part of that important symbolism, but also fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 34, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. The key takeaway from this first of our three passages today is verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And that is the first point in our outline this morning. It was finished. But that begs the question, doesn't it, right? Well, what exactly is it? What was 
finished. And to answer that, we are greatly helped by the Greek word that is used there in John 19.30. The word is tetelestai, and it really has at least three nuances of meaning, and each of them are important to us today. First, it means it is accomplished. It is accomplished and refers to the fact that Jesus accomplished all that the Father had sent him to do on this earth. And Jesus affirmed this. He recognized this in John 17, 4, in his high priestly prayer prior to his crucifixion, leading up to the very end, Jesus said this. He said to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. What a thing to be able to say at the end of your life, right? Father, I have accomplished all that you have sent me to do. We would say mission accomplished. A job not only well done, but in Jesus' case, it was a job perfectly done. And so he proclaimed to Telestai, it is accomplished. It is accomplished. Next, the term also means it is fulfilled. It is fulfilled. Referring to the fact that, and this boggles my mind, and when we think about the the mathematical computations that would be involved with the, the odds of this, but from Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament, 39 books, there are over 300 specific prophecies detailing the coming of the Messiah, all fulfilled by Jesus. And that's why you guys know how excited I get when the dots connect in the Old and the New Testament. We see that the Bible is not 66 disconnected books, each kind of talking about and doing their own thing. They all fit together. They all go together. And they all talk about Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Long before Jesus came to earth, Over 300 prophecies were made about him in the Old Testament. He fulfills them all. And so how appropriate it is that Jesus on the cross would be able to say, to Telestai, it is fulfilled. But there is a third nuance to the term to Telestai. And in my opinion, it is perhaps the most important of them all. For you see, the term also means it is paid in full. It is paid in full. In full. On a very literal level, in that culture, to telestai was a term that was used every day in the marketplace. If someone owed money, if someone purchased something, if someone was settling a debt, a receipt would be stamped to telestai, literally, meaning that the debt had been paid in full. Now, where this is of great importance to us today is that God's word so clearly and powerfully tells us that we have a debt that we owe to God, do we not? And Romans 6.23 tells us the magnitude of that debt when it says, for the wages of sin is death. You see, because of our sinful rebellion against the holy God, we rightfully deserve his judgment and wrath. We have a sin debt only payable by death. And here's where Tetelestai comes so beautifully into play. Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, was sacrificed in our place to pay our sin debt in full. 
Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, was sacrificed in our place to pay our sin debt in full. And so with his dying breath, Jesus declared to all in his hearing then and all in his hearing now, to tell us, die, your sin debt has been paid, therefore you can be reconciled to God and have an abundant life both now and forevermore. I came across an interesting and potentially provocative quote this week that said this, Christianity is not what would Jesus do. Remember the bracelets back in the 90s, thereabouts? It was kind of a popular faddish kind of thing, WWJD. And Christianity is not what would Jesus do, it's what Jesus has done. What has Jesus done? And what he has done is pay the price for our sins. Now that may be a bit overstated, I would admit that, for Jesus did, the Word tells us, leave us an example for us to follow. But at its core, the message of the Gospel and the reason that it is such good news is because it is the message of what Jesus did to rescue us from our sins. As it says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Which raises that contrast of do versus done, right? Do versus done. Religion is all about do. Try harder to be a good person. Try harder to make yourself right with God. Embrace these principles and then put them into practice because that's what is required of you to be good, to do good, to be right with God, putting upon ourselves this insurmountable weight that we cannot bear. But the Scriptures teach us that such efforts are in vain because we can't be good enough. We cannot do good enough because the wages of sin is death which is what makes the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross the best news ever. With his final breath, Jesus cried out to Telestai, our sin debt has been paid in full. Just as the old hymn says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. So this is to Telestai. It is finished. But, But not only was it finished, as we go on today and look at the next test, text, it also tells us that Jesus wasn't finished. Jesus wasn't finished. This is the second main point in your outline today. And this would have been such a shock to all who had seen him with their own eyes crucified and sealed in a tomb. I mean, dead is dead, right? And just in case there wasn't any doubt about his deadness, it says in John 19.34, we read this a few moments ago, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. I'm so thankful for this last act of violence against Jesus. Why? Because it cemented the fact that Jesus was in fact dead. He would have hemorrhaged, he would have bled to death if he hadn't been dead already from the asphyxiation of the cross. By all appearances, Jesus was finished. 
And so Satan thought Jesus was finished. Rome thought Jesus was finished. Jerusalem thought that Jesus was finished. And in an effort to make sure that there would never be a question about it, we read in Matthew 27, 63, um, it says, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. And I love that verbiage, right? Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. We might say that this was the last nail in the coffin. Jesus was certainly finished, or so they thought. For three days after Jesus was laid in the tomb, early in the morning, a woman, one of his followers named Mary Magdalene, went to the tomb to finish anointing Jesus' body for burial. She was among those who thought that Jesus was finished. You wouldn't show up at a tomb to anoint a body unless you were convinced that the body would be there and that that individual would be dead. She had resigned herself to the fact that he was dead and with him also the death of all of her hopes and dreams. But much to her surprise, things were not as she expected. For we read in John chapter 20, our second text for today, beginning with verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Again, she's convinced that Jesus was finished. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And here begins the greatest comeback in history. Greater than any comeback ever in sports. And there have been some amazing comebacks in the world of athletics. Greater than any comeback ever in business. Any company that was on the verge of bankruptcy that turned around. There's some amazing stories you can read in leadership books about businesses and companies who have had these amazing comebacks, but no comparison to this. Greater than any comeback in any circumstance at any time, nothing compares to the comeback of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And as a matter of fact... Jesus' setback was the beginning of a holy comeback. Jesus' setback was the beginning of a holy comeback. Truly, Jesus wasn't finished, which is even illustrated by the simple fact that Jesus was crucified in John 19, right? Does the Gospel of John end in John 19? No. 
That isn't the end of his activity in John's gospel. There are actually chapters 20 and 21, which follow chapter 19, where the crucifixion takes place. They go on to document the continuing ministry of Jesus all the way to his ascension. In church, the activity of Jesus continues even today. And because Jesus wasn't finished, he had to tell Mary Magdalene in verse 17, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so in essence, Jesus is saying to Mary, Mary, I got work to do. And there are people in Cadillac, Michigan, in the year 2022, who are in need of my living presence and power in their lives. So Mary, you got to let me go. You've got to let me go and ascend to heaven, because when I go, I will then send my Spirit, who will indwell every single believer. And just as the old hymn says, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Today. And we must continue to grow in our understanding of the significance of that. God does not watch us from a distance as we struggle. Jesus is here. He is alive. He is at work today, and His Spirit indwells every single believer, empowering us to do far and amazing and beyond what we could ever do ourselves. Because if you grasp that truth, you will also understand that you're not finished. You're not finished. It was finished. Jesus wasn't finished. And because of those two truths, you're not finished. We read in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The simple meaning of this verse is this. Because Jesus isn't finished, you're not finished. No matter how great the current setback in your life may seem, the one who rose from the dead is able to raise whatever is dead in your life. Truly, with Jesus, your setback can be the beginning of a holy comeback. And the place where that comeback begins, and hear me clearly, the place where that comeback begins is in turning from your sins and turning to Jesus alone as Savior and Lord, as was the, the testimony of those who were baptized today. Trusting in Jesus alone and His finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. That's where it all begins. And much as Steve said in his comments before the sermon today, we invite you, if you have yet to take that step of repentance and of putting your faith in Jesus alone. We invite you to cross that line of faith today. And in an Easter analogy, to put all of your eggs in the Jesus basket. And then I would ask you three questions this morning as we head toward application. Three questions. Question number one. In what ways does it seem that you are finished? In what ways does it seem that you are finished? Maybe you feel like you're finished at work. And again, not in a 
celebratory, I'm retiring on the top of the mountain kind of way, but maybe your work situation is such that it's a mess and you feel as if you're failing and you feel as if you're finished. Maybe you feel like you're finished at home, whether that be your marriage, maybe with your kids, with your finances. In what ways does it seem that you are finished? Maybe you feel like you are finished because of your health. It could be one of a million ways in which you are experiencing a general sense of hopelessness in the here and now. And can I just tell you, you are not alone. If we had the time, and and, and actually that's what was so beautiful about our Monday Thursday service. Uh, We were able to come together to share some testimonies and to really, I think, be able to see and hear. It's like, oh, I'm not alone in my struggles. I'm not alone, but what we all share in common is the same Jesus who shows up in the midst of our struggles and gives us strength and power to endure and to overcome. You are not alone this morning. That's part of what the church is all about, is that understanding and that comfort that we find that we are all on this journey together. Even the most devoted of Jesus' followers, they went through seasons where they felt like they were finished. Even Mary Magdalene, I believe, as she approached that tomb and was ready to anoint the corpse of Jesus, she felt as if her life was finished. Then question number two. How might the truth of a risen Jesus give you hope for a comeback? How might the truth of a risen Jesus give you hope for a comeback? The fact that Jesus is alive and he isn't finished. And because Jesus isn't finished, you're not finished. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. He is even able to take your current setback and to turn it into a holy comeback. His plan is to prosper you and not to harm you. It is to give you a hope and a future. And with him, all things are truly possible. Because Jesus isn't finished, you're not finished either. And then question number three, will you give to him the areas of your life where you feel most hopeless and allow him to work with resurrection power? Will you give to him the areas of your life where you feel most hopeless and allow him to work with resurrection power, trusting That just as we saw Jesus fulfill over 300 promises, prophecies from the Old Testament, he fulfilled every one. Every single promise that God has made to us is yes in Jesus, that he is for you and not against you. And that with Jesus, your setback can be the beginning of a holy comeback. Now, I would like us to take this one step further this morning. Um, Lots of different folks here coming from different places, different circumstances. And I would say this. Would you all take out your phones? And as you do so, if you specifically sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you, moving in your life, whether that is leading you toward that next step of on your spiritual journey of first of all, crossing the line of faith, of repenting of your sins and turning to him alone as Savior and Lord, or if it is in any sense those three questions that I asked you, if you sense God talking to you about next steps on your spiritual journey, would you take out your phone and simply text the word, come back? Come back. 
to that number that we introduced to you earlier. And would you please do me this favor? Would you please be sure to give your name? And the, the purpose of this is simply for you to plant a seed with us here at First Baptist Church that we could follow up with you and say, okay, God is leading you to take a next step on your spiritual journey. How can we help you? And again, for some of you, it may be that initial step of putting your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. For others of you, it may be taking next steps of obedience, of risk, of faith, and your growth and your sanctification and where God is leading you. Whatever it is, we would not want to miss this opportunity to say, we want to do more than talk about this, but we want to do something with this. And so this is one way to communicate with us, one way to plant that seed with us and say, hey, I would benefit if someone would follow up with me. Give us a few days, you know, to, to work through processing and to get back with you, but we would love, love, love to have that opportunity. And so we started today with the idea that Easter is the Yogi Berra holiday. It ain't over till it's over. And this was demonstrated through the points that it was finished, Jesus wasn't finished, you're not finished, and whatever your situation today, with Jesus, your setback can be the beginning of a holy comeback. Would you please pray with me? Father, what a glorious morning it has been, um, the opportunity for us to sing your praises, to declare your worth, to boldly and declare the truth of the resurrection and then to be able to see that played out in baptisms and through testimonies and then uh, for us to feed on your word and to I pray be encouraged about the fact that we serve a risen savior who's in the world today and very much at work God I pray that you would send all of us home today with a renewed sense of fresh hope and the understanding that God is at work and He's able to redeem all things in our lives and ultimately work them out for our good and His glory. We commit this to you today in the precious name of the risen Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.